Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. I am Dave Gasper, joined as always by Matt Carroll and Matt. I have a cold brew right here, and I'll tell you what, I wish it were something stronger. You seem to have something stronger over there. What, what do you got for your drink oh, yeah. today? It's, once again, a rum and whatever I could find in the fridge to put with it, because it's rum. And more rum. Just straight rum. I yeah. think that's what it should be. Yeah. I've got my, my Liney's Northwoods because we are in in the fall, and I'm not going to be able to enjoy it in October, watching October baseball, because the Brewers apparently aren't heading there uh, the way that they've been playing. It is It has been bad. Um, and, you know, we're, we're usually pretty optimistic guys uh, when it comes to the Milwaukee Brewers. But, I mean, this past week, you, the Brewers lost. Let, let's, let's recap this past week. The Brewers lost three of four to the Arizona Diamondbacks, who, you know, they've called up some decent prospects, but they're a sub-500 team that are about 10 games back in the in the wild card race. I mean, they're not really contending for the playoffs. Uh, they had one of the worst records in baseball last season. Lost three of four to them. Got shut out in one of those games. and two of the other games, they scored just one run. And then... They head to Colorado. Lorenzo Kane gives a whole bunch of uh, comments to Adam McAlvey, friend of the podcast, about how much management sucks uh, and how the Brewers have messed with their clubhouse culture and just a scathing criticism of the entire organization. Then the Brewers go into Colorado and they lose two of three, one in a completely embarrassing fashion by leading six to one in the eighth inning and then blowing the game, giving up five runs in the eighth and then losing in extra innings and then getting blown out early and losing, getting a couple of garbage time home runs to make it look better, but still losing big time on Wednesday here to end up losing the series. So the Brewers have lost the Brewers are what two and five in the last week. Plus Lorenzo Cain just obliterating the organization and how things are run. The Brewers have fallen to nine and a half back in the NL Central. And that's just been this week. <laughs> and yeah, you know, we're and we're recording a day early this week, Matt. We're we're recording early and things have gotten to this bad. Like like I we almost needed to do an, an emergency podcast right after the Kane comments, but I mean, we'll, we'll get, we'll dive into that a whole lot more here during this podcast. Don't you worry about that, but we're doing this a day early and we've got all this going on. Yeah. Last week when we talked, we were coming off of two straight series wins. Things were looking better than they were before. Granted those two series wins were against the Cubs and pirates, but the Brewers had dropped plenty of season uh, series to teams like the Cubs and Pirates. Well, just like they did to both teams uh, outside of the, uh, was it? No, before the All-Star break, I believe it was. Um, so it's not like that was, those two series were safe, by, safe wins by any means. But they did what they had to do. Um, things were looking a little bit better. Only a few games out of the wild card. Sure, the NL Central looked like it was slipping away, but... Postseason was still within reach. Granted, 
the postseason is still within reach now as we record. Um, the, that NL Central is all, all but gone at this point. It would take a a stunning collapse by the Cardinals on top of a pretty ridiculous Craig Timber by the Brewers uh, to turn that around. But three and a half games back of both the Phillies and the Padres as we record right now, um, neither of which have been perfect in their series that they are each playing. Um, so it's there. But the way that they have been playing in most series since the trade deadline leads little, few of us to believe that they'll be able to just miraculously go on this huge run. Do they have the talent to do so? Sure. They've had the talent to do so. That's why they were leading the NL Central for a majority of the season. But it doesn't look anywhere near like that talent is capable of going on a run right now just by how it happens. They, You put out an article right before we started recording about how the Brewers keep getting in their own way. And that is the perfectly accurate way to describe what the Brewers have been doing right now, even when it seems like things are going good for a little bit. Take uh, last night's Rockies game, which <laughs> is the newest, most tragic loss for the Brewers this season. It always seems like there's something... Remember, there was that one against the Cubs um, that it seemed like, you know, went into extra innings, seemed like the Brewers should have taken, um, and they didn't. And that was the most devastating loss of the season. Now we've got this one where the Brewers were up uh, perfect. What was it? Five to one, I believe. Six to one. Six to one. That's right. Um, Which makes it worse. Late into the game. That's one of the few games that the Brewers should feel comfortable in, and they end up losing it. And even when things look like, ah, it's it's definitely going the Brewers' way tonight, something ruins it more often than yeah. not. And it's just, it's hard for the players or the fans to just shake out of this funk that all of us are currently in. Brandon Woodruff went seven innings, allowing just two hits and one run. Yeah. Like, if, if you had told, yeah, if you had told me that going in, I'd be like, oh, easy win. Mm-hmm. Easy. And... They still found a way to blow it. Luis Perdomo comes in and in the span of eight pitches, eight pitches completely <laughs> blows the faced four batters. All four of them scored in eight pitches. Like, I-, I can't imagine things going worse in a shorter period of time. Like, like, even if you tried to pitch that badly, could you give up four runs in eight pitches? I mean, you got to be kidding me. So it just it piles on, you know, with, with all this and all the losses earlier that, that they should have had uh, as wins. And, you know, then you get to this. I mean, it, it's the Rockies, man. I mean, the Rockies are an incompetent organization. OK, <laughs> they're the ones who should be playing incompetent, looking incompetent. But that was the brew. It seems like every single move Craig Council made, it, it just it could not get it done. The, the guys just could not perform whatever it is. Um, and it's just it's just been piling on and getting worse and worse as the, the summer has gone on. And, you know, this all goes back to the trade deadline. I mean, they came out of the All-Star break on fire. They were looking good. They were hitting well. They were pitching well. They were doing everything they needed to do. They were on a great run. And then the trade, they, they were three games up. In the NL Central, they had an 80% chance 
to win the division and over 90% chance to make the playoffs. And then they traded Hader and DFA'd Lamette and they got Matt Bush and then they traded inexplicably for Trevor Rosenthal, as we've talked about plenty of times. And they didn't get an impact player to return for Josh Hader. They didn't call up Asteria Ruiz right, right away. Uh, the clubhouse was completely like it was a full on 10 magnitude 10.0 earthquake in that clubhouse. And they haven't recovered from it straight up. They, they simply have not recovered. And I don't know if they're going to. And I, I think that kind of lends us now to Lorenzo Kane's comments mm-hmm. from this past week. And, you know, he joined the Brewers to, for their fantasy football draft, you know, as, as the reigning champion of the league. You know, he's still in there and uh, he's doing the the fantasy football draft. So he's coming in person to do that. So Adam McAlvey catches up with him and asks him if he misses baseball. And he's like, no, not really. I didn't really like their like just completely unprompted just goes into a rant against the organization. I mean, he he starts off here. You know, it, it just, hey, you know, do you miss baseball, you know, having been out of the game for the past, like, two months or so since it got DFA'd? So, go ahead. He said, quote, I have my days now and then, but for the most part, not really. I've been keeping up with the team from afar, and I see they're struggling a little bit. I wouldn't say I saw that coming, but I feel like when you mess around with the chemistry of the team, things like this can happen. He was not asked about the chemistry of the team. He was not asked if he's been keeping up with them or anything like that. He was just asked, do you miss baseball? And he he goes into that. And, you know, naturally, you know, the McAlvey goes further, um, you know, you know, prods further on that comment. But it's like the fact that he brought this up on his own. I mean, it really kind of speaks to how bad things are. And the fact that it's Lorenzo Cain. Lorenzo Cain is not a vocal guy like this. He doesn't make. Uh, crazy comments like that all, all the time. He's he, he doesn't do stuff like that. Not not a vocally critical dude. Um, a, a very well respected veteran leader by players and fans. Apparently not as much with uh, coaches and and staff. But he's not going to make comments like this lightly, Matt. No, and that that's got to be something that's been maybe just eaten at him a little bit over time here, maybe based off of, you know, feeling bad for his teammates and seeing what's going on and seeing them, you know, maybe suffering a little bit um, through all of this, because it would have been perfectly easy for Lorenzo Cain, who this is the first time we've heard from him since that DFA. Um, It's not like, you know, he's been getting interviewed and interviewed and interviewed and finally came out and said it. This has been the first time we've heard of him. He could have just been, Hey, how's it going? doing great, retired life is fine, coming back to see my boys and defend my title, have a good one, like, and that would have kind of, like, fallen into, you know, almost the way that he addressed the media in previous years, so clearly it ate at him enough that he felt like he needed to say something in that sense, like, that he felt that it just kind of just spilled out, maybe he didn't mean to, maybe he did, I guess I don't know, but regardless, it had to have been something that he'd been sitting on for some time um, that he would bring it up in in that context. And yeah, that just really between between that, between the fashion that it came up, between 
the time period that he said it kind of went across, like, it it must be some serious stuff. And I guess, I don't know, like, you, you, you now think back and you think back to um, the way you would see him, like, in the dugout and the way you would see him afterwards in uh, interviews and things like that. And did they really provide him a... Uh, venue to be that like veteran leader or something like that because that's what he says you know uh, he may, maybe just wasn't b- being allowed to do I don't know like I guess I, I guess I didn't see him and he should have been that guy he was beloved in Kansas City like he was allowed to be that guy in Kansas City and lead the way and lead his teammates and have his teammates look up to him maybe they did that on like a quieter level in Milwaukee but like he was the guy in KC. There's no reason he shouldn't have been exactly that in Milwaukee. So I guess I, I don't I don't know. That's yeah. very, it's, very interesting. He he gave a lot of comments here that we're gonna be trying to trying to dive into. Um uh, we have an article up on on the site um right now that, that came up pretty much right after those comments and just kind of Putting them in there, trying to add some some context and just trying to dissect uh, dissect them and, and really kind of understand what he's getting at and and what's really going on here. He went on to say, uh, analytics doesn't judge or measure the heart of a person or the chemistry of a team. Certain guys need a certain comfort level in playing together. They complement each other. You go into the locker room saying, I'm comfortable today. I can talk to my buddies about anything, hang out and relax. When you move guys around, especially when you started with a certain group, you slowly start to lose that. It can definitely affect the win and loss column for sure. Now, this could be, you know, he's, he's directly talking about the chemistry of the team being upset um, and, and, you know, discussing analytics and how the front office uh, and, the, and the team values analytics. And they appear to be valuing it so highly that they have forgotten about or are neglecting the, the the heart of a person, the chemistry of a team, how how it works in that clubhouse. And, you know, really, I, I think, you know, when he's talking about moving guys around, starting with a certain group and, you know, all, all of a sudden guys are leaving, I think this is more, this, this isn't about just Josh Hader. This isn't about just Lorenzo Cain. You know, he, he goes on to say here, uh, later on, that's like, I mean, th- this goes back to not only this year, but years and years. It's been three years where I felt this way. Kane has felt this way about the organization. The, the organization has neglected chemistry for analytics for three years, according to Kane. Think about the guys of the last couple of years that have been big chemistry pieces in that locker room that have been let go that have been traded that have been cut that have been uh you know just allowed to walk away in free agency that were leaders you look at jesus aguilar traded away mike moustakis allowed to walk you look at manny pina allowed to walk you you look at daniel vogelback getting non-tendered um like, like you see all these guys who were very important pieces in the locker room that go and, and and they don't come back. And it's like, sure. Like these are guys you can replace their production on the field when it, when it comes to numbers, but you can't replace their spot in that clubhouse. 
No, not at all. And you think you think too back to like you said three years ago, um, twenty would basically be twenty twenty. That's three seasons ago if you count this season as well. And remember the roster construction that season. Stearns admitted after the season that he did a basically a bad job of putting that roster together. It's like they were trying to overthink things that year and like plug in all these different pieces at certain prices and try and worry more about the puzzle than the puzzle pieces, the people that were actually there trying mm-hmm. to put something together and do it in a certain way that like, oh, the the numbers say that because this guy is good against lefty, he'll fit in a platoon with this guy. And so that covers us at first base. And, you know, we can patchwork the middle of the infield with three different guys between, you know, a Sogard and a Jace Peterson and a Keston Kira and a, you know, whoever Jack else. Jack Jerko. The way, yeah, and Jack Jerko and uh, we're going to also throw Sogard over there. And it, it just, like, it, all the ways that they, like, over-tinkered with that squad – Like, maybe that's the beginning of what he was talking about. It started off with not signing some of those guys, especially from the 2019 team, like Moustakis and like Grandal. And that's part of what led to that 2020 season that he says was the start of kind of, you know, all of this going in a different direction. We've seen it kind of since then where we've, you know, we've pondered all these, you know, moves that have been made to, you know, build this Brewers team and should they have paid money to get different guys or put up, you know, gone for, you know, more classically like powerful guys or guys that like get people more excited in, in free agency and trades and stuff, as opposed to going for, Oh, okay. Well, you know, when you break down the numbers, this guy, I guess, technically he makes a lot of sense. Um, and then having a bunch of those guys not work out. Um, it makes sense if that's what he's kind of talking about it is, yeah, you had a, a couple of big-time free agents walk, and you signed a bunch of guys that were like, oh, okay, we I guess we don't have Yasmani Grandal to fill in at uh, catcher and first base, but I guess we have Ryan Healy and Justin Smoke. Woohoo! Yeah, and like, Omar Narvaez. And Omar Narvaez, which luckily last year he turned out to look more like his old self. This year he started off that way and kind of tailed. Um, but he's still not a, okay. Well now granted, Yasmani Grandal has been really bad the last couple of years. So maybe yeah. that's not the greatest, but it was, but, but it, even it's more the point of it, it's yeah. the, uh, you know, that, that's not the point here, I guess. Yeah. Well, what did Grandal bring in that clubhouse? Right. You know, right. like, like, like that's what, what he brought there. And that's what these guys are going to be looking at. You know, even if they do kind of struggle a few years down the road, maybe being in a different place, being with a different team, would change that, you know, maybe being yeah. in Milwaukee rather than Chicago might help him perform better. I mean, we saw that well, with Jeremy Jeffress, you know, it, it's not unheard of for players to be better being with one organization rather than others. We saw um, Randall himself going from LA to Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's not unheard of for that. Um, and, and some of these guys, you know, that that's just, what is, and then you see what they bring every single day, and then for the organization to be like, eh, no, you're not, it, it's not worth paying you. We're going to let you go. We're, we're going to trade you or, or whatever else. You know, the, the focus seems more on where they are in their contract and what and what they're paying them 
rather than what they bring to the team, either on the field or, or off the field in the clubhouse. You know, you, you can have a, a great clubhouse guy that is beloved by everyone that, that brings energy, that, that does whatever else. But if the organization just views them as, as easily replaceable, um, despite everything that they bring, then, you know, how are any of those guys really to feel comfortable in that clubhouse? That no matter what they do, you know, they, they can just be re- replaced like that uh, in an organization. How would you feel at, at your own place of work mm-hmm. if your boss is just like, no matter how productive you are, you're like you're either, you know, productive enough that, you know, we'll we'll try to keep you around productive enough and cheap enough that we'll, we'll keep you around. But if you start asking for too many raises and you, and you get too many raises, we're going to we're going to have to replace you with someone else who can do your stuff probably a bit worse, but for cheaper. <laughs> um, and it's just like if you just keep on getting constantly reminded of that, where it's like we can replace you easily no matter what. If you if you make too much money, we'll kick you out and get someone else who will make less and do the same job. Yeah, think back to 2018 and 2019, like basically starting off with, um, you know, the Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain day. Like those two years was a lot of, holy shit, the Brewers went and got that guy? Like guys that we never thought that the Brewers would bring in. They were like making those moves and then a Moustakis and then a Yasmani Grandal. And like those big name guys that you would get excited for that – you just you just never got to see them go after in this era. Since then, who would actually like qualify under that? Like the Hunter Renfro trade was pretty good, but he's not like that guy. McCutcheon, you would think you would have thought that of that move like years ago, but I don't know that everyone. Uh, this offseason when the Brewers brought in McCutcheon was like, whoa, seriously? Like, that they haven't had those types of moves. And that's the time frame that he's talking about uh, that just they've gone way more to this, like, cold, analytical view when it comes to bringing in guys, trading guys, and everything. And they're, they've, like, slowly over time just lost the people aspect of it. Someone I would love to circle back on now and get his opinion of this organization is Travis Shaw. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when he first left, there was some kind of some, you know, slightly bad blood. The Brewers end up bringing him back as a free agent um, before last season. And, you know, it, it was basically like a, you know, no hard feelings is what Travis Shaw said out loud. Well, of mm-hmm. course he's going to say it out loud. He just, they just gave him a job when yeah. maybe, maybe plenty of other teams weren't necessarily doing that. Um, so, of course, he's going to say that at the time. But I would love to know his uh, view of things based off of everything that transpired with him because that was kind of the start of some of this starting to go down. And we know he was underperforming back then. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no doubt about that. Um, but he still had said that, like, kind of just the way things were approached back then rubbed him a little bit the wrong way. And, like, now now I want more details. Yeah, it's 
It's amazing how we've gone, you know, with this organization, because, you know, I, I remember back then in, in 2018, like 2017, 2018, uh, 2019, and really, I mean, up until now, the major theme with this organization has been that they emphasize clubhouse culture and communication and connectedness. And, and you know, even though they, they strongly value analytics, they still had an understanding of the clubhouse culture and still uh, gave a focus to that. But now that whole narrative, that, that whole idea seems to be falling apart with, with what Kane has been saying, uh, how they've disrupted clubhouse culture. And, and it's not just the hater trade. You know, it goes back to, to more than this. And that could be why the hater trade had such an effect, a bit more of a death by a thousand cuts, you know, mm-hmm. a, the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it's, you know, when you lose the guys like Manny Pena and Daniel Vogelback, who were beloved in that clubhouse, you, you lose the guys like Jesus Aguilar and and your other leaders and, and energy givers in that clubhouse. And then on top of that, that like then after seeing all of that happen, then Josh Hader goes and you know it's because of money. Like, like, they can say whatever they want about competitive windows and whatever else. It is about the fact that Josh Hader was not going to be re-signed in free agency. He was going to demand too much money. He was going to make too much money in arbitration next year. And they wanted to get out from under his contract and not pay him the money that he deserved. All the players know that that's what drove this decision. It was not a, a strict baseball decision. It was not just, oh, this was you know, the best deal and we're just kind of, you know, accepting whatever you were only willing to make that trade because of the money hater was going to be owed and they weren't willing to pay it. So they got out from underneath it. And, you know, then how the trade falls apart, how Denelson Lamette gets DFA'd and you go from a mix of major league talent to you trade hater for Rogers and a pair of prospects. And then you don't even call up Ruiz right away. He's up now, but he's not really getting much run out there. Like, you know, in, instead of like, oh, we traded Hater and we got three guys to help out this big league roster right now. Rogers, Lamette, Ruiz. Call him up right away because they didn't get a bat. They didn't get another bat. So why not call up Ruiz? You know that like they know they wanted to. They were trying to get a bat. They didn't get one. Why didn't you call one up that day? As, as soon as you hit 501 on trade deadline day, call up one of your prospects. Call up Ruiz, call up Terang, call up somebody and help out this offense. Because you know you were trying to, you know you didn't get it done. So why were you going to be like, oh, well, then I guess this offense is fine. No, call somebody up. And so when the players see that after – you know, losing all these other guys, all these other clubhouse leaders, all these other friends in the last year or two, it's just, it was just kind of the final straw for them, I think. I wonder, we've, we've talked in the past and I wouldn't say we've downplayed it, but we've talked about how Craig Council could work through it because he kind of just always has how losing some of these clubhouse guys that really brought such a great culture, like your Arcias and Pinas and Aaron Perez's and Aguilar's and Lorenzo Cain's and 
Josh Haders and all those types of guys kind of down the line that as the Brewers have moved on from some of them, they've still been able to keep that good atmosphere going in, in the dugout in the clubhouse because they've had a guy like Craig Council who connects with his players and has, you know, been able to just keep keep the, the boat going, keep keep it afloat. And I wonder if he has just lost so many of those guys that it's become a bigger thing than him. Or, I hate to say it, and I, I, don't, I really don't think it, and I don't want to think it, but Lorenzo Cain did mention management and some coaches, and he would be one of the coaches. We don't know who Cain is referring to. It's possible, it is entirely possible, that council is part of that problem of not allowing veterans to lead. I I don't feel like it is, I, mm-hmm. but it, it's like we can't 100% rule that out. I, 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 I try not to place the blame on council because council didn't construct this roster. Like he didn't put this right. together. He didn't trade the players. I don't. Th- I don't think the players blame him either for that. I don't think you know, so. like, no. I mean, the, the the players may have their beef with David Stearns or, or Matt Arnold, um, and Council may just be the guy that has to deal with it. But it's like, look, it, it wasn't my call to trade Hater. Like that, that's that's above my pay grade. But yeah, and, and you know, Council, and it seemed like Council was was almost included as part of this. So you know, I mean, the the next quote that he had here. Uh, Lorenzo Cain said, quote, I mean, it is what it is. That's one of the reasons we kind of parted ways. I honestly feel like I never got that respect as a veteran, as a leader on this team from certain coaches and certain upper management. That's mostly why we parted ways when we did. I mean, when it, co- when it comes to the coaches, you know, upper management, that's most likely going to be referring to, you know, Stearns and Arnold, you know, your, your kind of top guys. I doubt it's going to be your lower level uh, front office dudes. But certain coaches, I mean, who are the coaches that have been around here that whole time? That's pretty much been Craig Council and Pat Murphy. I mean, the the hitting coaches have have changed. I mean, you know, is is he talking about Andy Haynes? I I doubt it. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe, but, you know, unlikely. Um, You know, Jason Lane. You know, you you think Jason Lane wouldn't be giving – uh, Lorenzo Kane respect. You think Quentin Barry wouldn't be giving Lorenzo Kane respect, but also I wouldn't think Council or Pat Murphy wouldn't be giving Kane right. the respect that he. I mean, Council has like been that that veteran role uh, in as a player before. He played a long time in this league. He has been a player's manager by by all accounts. You know his entire tenure. So. The idea that Council wouldn't give Lorenzo Cain that kind of respect as a veteran, as a leader, it just it just seems so weird to me. Like that, like that is very difficult to believe. The the rest of this, you know, like oh, the front office is messing with the culture; they're focused too much on analytics. That's a bit more like that's that's more easily believable. But Council not giving his players their respect as veterans. As a former veteran player himself, that just that's just tough to tough for me to believe. Yeah, exactly. Same same here. Like I threw it out on the table because 
he all all Kane did, and that's you know that's the tough part about this is we are trying to decipher these comments, and so you have to take them at what face value you get, and you know throw out possibilities. But let's say that it's you know that he's not blaming Craig Council for some of this. If that's the case, it really sucks that even Craig Council can't turn things around right now. Like it has gotten so bad, the front office has like messed up this team so bad that even a player's manager like Craig Council hasn't been able to right the ship. Um, if, if Craig Council somehow and like and think back to that, I, I think I think to your point that like you know that it is hard to believe that you know Craig Council would be would have been part of that problem. Like Council was giving Kane every opportunity. He was trying to get him in, in that lineup. He was trying to get him going. It, it seemed like by all rights, Council was trying to do right by Kane while he was around. And so it seems to me like it's hard to believe too. Yes, um, I totally agree. Um, if, if, if by some miracle the Brewers are still able to claw their way into the playoffs, I know he won't get it, but I swear to God, like it, it will be one of the better, like managing accomplishments of Craig Council's career. Like it's not going to result in a, a manager of the year award because look at what happened to them this year. But Jesus, if, if he can drag that team by the feet into a wild card spot, like I, I don't want to hear bitching about Craig Council again. <laughs> Because the way this team looks, it does not look like they have any right to be a playoff team currently, unless things magically turn around. And if if things do magically turn around, you've got to give council credit for doing that. I don't know if it's going to happen at this rate, but if it It, does, it's going to be because of him. It is currently the most uninspired, unenergetic Brewers team we have seen, I, I think, in the Craig Council era. You know, I mean, ever since he came in, you know, especially in the early days of that rebuild, there was a lot of focus on fun. You know, especially like that 2017 team, super fun. 2018, incredibly fun team. And, you know, since then they've, they've had, you know, they've always seemed to have a lot of fun. You know, and players have talked about it, how much they really enjoy playing here. and They enjoy playing for Council. They you know, enjoy the atmosphere and, and everything else. It was a lot of fun playing for the Brewers. And, and that was kind of their selling point. Like we may, we, we may not be able to offer you the most money. You know, we, we may not be able to, to do that, but we're going to have a lot of fun here and we're going to win a lot of games because of it, because we've got some good players and good players having fun in a, in a great culture leads to a great team. You know, the, the, the sum is greater than the whole of its parts. You know, when, when it comes to that, that's really kind of been the Brewers thing the past couple of years. And that hasn't been the case this season. They, they haven't been that way. They haven't been having fun. The, the sum is not greater than the whole of its parts. Um, they're, it's, it's much lower than the whole of their parts. I mean, they, they have not produced the way that they should because they just seem to lack that. Even with Willie Adamas, you know, providing everything that he – if anyone gives energy in that clubhouse, it is Willie Adamas, you know, and he can give, you know, energy until, you know, he can give enough for the entire 26 man roster or 28 man roster even. But 
they need more, man. They, they need more than just Willie Adamas to supply the energy in that clubhouse. And I just, I just don't see where they're going to be getting it from, especially with how poorly they, they've been playing. Winning cures all, but they're not doing enough winning. So how are you going to be able to get back to that and get back to having fun when you're not winning? Because losing is not fun. And how can you have fun when, when you're playing this poorly? Yeah, you need more than Papa Shots and Infinity Gauntlets and Bells and Harley Jackets and those types of things um, to get inspired again. It, it, think back to the 2020 season. Like that 2020 season, everyone struggled except for basically Vogelback when he came in at the very end um, and, you know, a, a good handful of the pitchers. Nearly everyone on that team struggled. They finished below 500 for the the only time, you know, since they've really been on this uh, strong run um, since 2017. Uh, and even that team, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say was less inspired than this team. Now maybe that was part partially because you know it was it was a shortened season. People were kind of just grateful to have it. A lot of people considered it like a throwaway, like whatever happens this year happens. Maybe it was because there were some underlying attitudes about the season, but even then it didn't feel the team didn't feel, I'm not saying the fans, the team didn't feel like they were in as much of a visible rut as the one in the second half of this, this season has been. That could be recency bias, but that is, I don't know, that's thats kind of how I feel. Yeah, it's its definitely a visible rut. its It's been bad. I mean, the, the 2014 team had an epic collapse mm-hmm. uh, there, and everyone could kind of see they were in a rut um, heading down that and... You know, 2014 is an interesting time, and I know we don't like to mention it, you know, because it was it was it was a horrible season, and, and maybe this year we'll end up on that same level of uh, Voldemort Ooh. level of do not speak that name. That's but but I mean that that was a bad collapse at the end. I mean they were they were six and a half games up uh, in that division on July 1st. And they ended up they they were 19 games over 500 around that same time, and they finished 82 and 80, uh, and in third place. I mean they completely collapsed down the stretch. 133 days in first place, uh, actually 159 days if you count all the days of the season, including off days. 159 days in first place, and they completely blew it and i mean the brewers were in first place for a long time i mean they, they were doing incredibly well especially in that first half of the season i mean their start was comparable to what they had mm-hmm. in in 20, 2014 the 2014 brewers went 19 and 8 in march or, or 19 and 8 in april 1 and 0 in march um, so they were 20 and 8 through essentially the first month of the season and the brewers were 15 and 7 through april this year and then 17 and 12 in May. I mean, it, they they were on a similar start, like their best start since then. And everyone's like, oh, no, this isn't good. And so far, it's it's what it's turning into. It, it's turning into the 2014 Brewers. And if we recall here, the 2014 Brewers were followed by 
the 2015 Brewers, which saw the manager get fired and the general manager step down. Now, granted, I don't think that's going to be happening next. I, I don't I don't see Craig Council being on the hot seat. I don't see Stearns being on the hot seat. Uh, I don't see any sort of big changes like that happening. But you saw some wholesale changes coming to that roster shortly after that collapse. Yeah, it, until we started talking about it, I did not think to compare this team to that team. But wow, that's uh, there are some very interesting parallels between this team and I'm that. I'm going to be having an article come out on on that comparison shortly here. Yeah, but, uh, I'm gonna have to now. To keep keep an eye out for that, everybody. Yeah. Um, if any, if anything, that that team was maybe a little bit more dominant at its peak. Like this, this Brewers team, even at at its highest, I don't like. I don't know that we ever felt like, oh yeah, this team is just going to boat race the the National League. That 2014 team might have just been a little bit more of that sense, but not by much, not by much. And they're both following the same trend here towards the end of the season and. If this team fails to make it, you've got expanded playoffs. Like, you had an even better chance to make it. And Mm -hmm. if this team doesn't, then it's almost more sad than that 2014 one. As of this recording, the Brewers' playoff chances per fan graphs are at 25%. Yeah, that sounds about right. On August 1st, or or at the, the trade deadline, their playoff chances were over 90%. Yeah, their chances to win the division were over eighty percent. Um, and just as a quick update, just your moment in time, um, the Phillies and Cardinals are both leading their games. Uh, the Padres just tied theirs up. So, little idea of what we might look like by the end of the night. But yeah, it's that is real interesting. Like you said, like. There's no way Council is on the hot seat right now with what he has done with this team. It, it is not uh, not that he hasn't made, you know, questionable decisions in games. Every manager makes questionable decisions in games at one point or another. They're not always perfect. Council makes more good ones than bad ones in trying to balance the needs of the current game plus the needs of um, you know, the rest of the season. And that's what's led him to have this run of success because of all of that. Um, and this season seeming to be more on the front office than the manager. I, I put his chances of being let go after this season at, a, at about a half a percent. Um, that's a little high, I think. <laughs> yeah, it might be, to be honest. There's plenty of people on the Internet who think it's way too low, though. Oh, yes, but it's it's the Internet. Aware. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, he's not going anywhere like Renicky did. Granted, Renicky had to have that slow start to 2015 for it to happen still. But Renicky also wasn't a Brewers legend. Correct. He was not. He was not on a run in the middle of a Brewers run royalty. Right. And that. Council, whether you like Council or not, whether you like Council or not, he's Brewers royalty. Yes. I mean, his his yep. dad worked for the organization. He grew up in Whitefish Bay. He he grew up going to games and played here for a number of years and then worked in the front office and now he's a manager. I mean, it's it's the hometown kid. It's the dude who played a number. He's got two World Series rings as a player. It's, I mean, he's, he's Brewers royalty. He's not going to be going. Any, the job is 
going to be his as long as he wants it. And I think for all the council haters, the, the sooner you understand that, the the better it's going to be. I mean, he is yeah. that manager job is his for as long as he wants it. I mean, there would it would take something extremely serious beyond just a uh, bullpen decision going wrong. Like, oh, he called in Luis Perdomo and Perdomo sucked. Fire him. No, that's that's not going to happen. It's it's going to take something serious for for that to occur, and I just don't see that happening. Yeah, and I, and side note, I actually didn't mind the Perdomo call. It was the Streslecki call later that I questioned. Um, that's besides me. that. That's just what. My happened. question is more of Perdomo himself just throwing meatballs there oh, in yeah. Coors Field. What the hell are you doing? Like, yeah. how is Council supposed to expect that Perdomo is going to come in and chuck meatballs? Yep. Like, and everyone's like, oh, like, you could tell he didn't have it five pitches in. Why didn't you take him out? You had to get somebody loose. He yep. called to get he called to get somebody loose. They can't get loose that quickly. You know, they need some time to get ready before you call them in. So it's like, okay, we'll give him till after this batter. And then pff, home runs. Like, well, pff, I didn't yeah. tell him to do that. Yeah. But anyway, sorry, sidetracked. Um, no, it... You're right. It, if you accept that uh, council is not going anywhere, it's going to make your life that much easier. Just just complain about other things. I'm not saying you can't complain about Craig Council. You can complain about whatever you want. Be whatever fan you want to be. Like react the way you want. Your feelings are justified. Whatever. Um, but it it could possibly just make your life a little stressful to just accept the fact that Craig Council is going to be around. For a while, um, and then just focus that energy on other things or people. I don't know. Just a suggestion. Yeah, it's uh, everything is just it's 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 been rough, and and we ch- we try to be optimistic. We're we're very optimistic about this team usually. So these past couple of weeks and and all this pessimism is it's almost uncharted territory for us, but. Um, con- continuing with uh, what Kane was saying uh, and his quotes from uh, McAlvey's newsletter. Uh, here's here's his next one here. Quote, it wasn't about playing every day because I know I was struggling a bit. And that's putting it mildly. Uh, yeah. that, that was not his quote. That was mine. Uh, quote, this goes back to not only this year, but years and years. It's been three years where I felt this way. I think when you mess around with that, when you're supposed to be the leader of the team, the veteran in the clubhouse, and you don't get that respect that you feel you should get as a leader and a veteran, I think that makes it harder for me to lead and for certain guys to also lead. Ultimately, it shows up in a big way when you go out there and play on the field. So more about a like he's Rodney Dangerfield. I don't get no respect. Yeah. up in here he's he wasn't getting the respect i'm not sure who it was exactly that wasn't giving it to him whether it was council whether it was some of the other players or whatever but it it seemed like it's setting up a culture where it's difficult for guys to lead whether it's kane or other veterans on the team and I, again that just sounds so unlike everything we've heard as everything we've heard about this team the past couple of years been a mirage? Like, do they actually have that strong clubhouse culture or, or what? I mean, if Kane is feeling this way as probably the most veteran guy in that clubhouse, then, you know, how are other guys feeling? You know, like 
Kane had the big ass contract. He signed a five year, $80 million deal. He won a world series. He's been around for a long time. Like if, if he doesn't get respect in that clubhouse and he isn't able to, to lead in that clubhouse, who can. Right. It, but I think it's entirely possible that there, there was the great, you know, clubhouse vibes over the years and it, it eroded like it did. And maybe it was better as it started kind of getting to the point that we're at currently, it was better in some circles than it was in other circles. I don't know, as opposed to just the entire clubhouse being good. Ah, it's, but it is weird. And it, it, we talked about like veteran guys leading. I, I think to this team and I keep waiting for like a guy like Andrew McCutcheon. Andrew mm-hmm. McCutcheon is really to me the one guy in that clubhouse who I've been hoping would just like snap everyone out of it because he's been around when he was in Pittsburgh. He was a part of good, some good teams, so just a few. Um, but also some really bad teams. So he's seen the ups, he's seen the downs. Um, and now he comes here as kind of a, a little bit of a complimentary piece, not necessarily, you know, here to be the guy, but definitely someone who I think would be a respected voice in that clubhouse if he was allowed to be that guy. And things happen behind closed doors. It's hard to know. Maybe he is being that guy and we're just not seeing it. But I feel like we'd at least, as fans, be able to sense waves of that, either through some interviews here and there or just, you know, just somehow we would be able to sense that. And I don't sense that at all. And I don't I after reading all of these comments from Kane, I just wonder if he's being placed in the position to do that, that whether or not he's being given the opportunity to do that. And. Now it wouldn't surprise me if he's not. And that's that's a huge wasted opportunity, if so. Yeah, I mean, McCutcheon's guy when, I mean, Mark Atanasio is just like, oh, why did you extend the the payroll? Because, you know, it's like, oh, we had to extend the payroll, $8.5 million to sign McCutcheon. You know, why'd you do that for him? Well, because it's Andrew McCutcheon. You know, he's he's been a great player in his career, a great veteran leader, a great mentor to young players, and He's been around the league. He's seen a lot. And yeah, like that'd be a guy like if you're paying him eight and a half million dollars, you're not thinking you're getting, you know, former NL MVP Andrew McCutcheon. You know that that guy's gone, mm-hmm. but you're getting him for his experience, you know, his his veteran experience, his leadership skills. He's been around a while. Like he's he's got more years of service than I think anyone else on the team. So like, you know that's what you're getting. Are they giving him the, the chance to, to fill that role? Maybe, maybe not. Again, we don't know because we're not with we're not in that clubhouse. Uh, I would think so, but you never truly know. Um, so hopefully he is, and hopefully he's able to, to fill that kind of a role. I mean, maybe it's not as vocal um, outwardly as, as some guys would be in, in their leadership roles, but... Um, it's, it's been interesting to, to watch, uh, final, go ahead. Just one thing. Didn't you feel like at the beginning of the season, you saw McCutcheon more kind of in front of the camera, um, like in the preseason and in early games, like you saw him talking and like giving some real good insights. And Mm -hmm. I don't 
I honestly can't remember the last time I saw an interview with McCutcheon. Like, yeah, he has been playing as well, but but even when he was, he went through that that really solid streak in the middle of the season, and it 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 feels like it's been since at least then since I I've really seen him like just out there in front of things, and so. I, I remember know. seeing Weird. I remember seeing when uh, Garrett Mitchell got called up, Mitchell talking with McCutcheon, McCutcheon giving advice to him. I was like, okay, that's good. You know, he's he's having yes. conversations uh, yeah, with Mitchell, you know, good. teaching him some stuff about the ways of the big leagues. Yeah, so that'd be good. But it's like we we we'd like to see more of that. Yeah. Um. All right. Final Kane quote of of consequence here outside of the fantasy draft stuff. He said, quote, I definitely think the boys can turn it around. But, yeah, when you go through rough times, you need certain guys to keep going. I think that's one of the reasons it's been a struggle to get guys out of the funk. When you get rid of certain guys, when you start messing with the chemistry of the clubhouse, it affects everybody. It's happening right now. Hopefully they can turn it around because you can see it's been weird. Something's off for sure. And that much, uh, I think, has been clear to anyone who's been watching this team. Something is off. Whatever we don't know exactly what it is, we don't know the whole story behind what it is, but something is off. Something is wrong with this team. Something is wrong in the clubhouse. I don't know what it is. I don't know how they can address it, but something is wrong. They need to diagnose it if they don't if they don't know what it is and address it immediately. This could literally end up being the slogan for the team if they fail to make the playoffs, even if they do make the playoffs, something's off for sure. That that's just, that describes the whole vibe. And we, we said plenty of times you even said in, in this episode, winning fixes everything. Well, they just have not been able to get to the point where they can pile up the wins to have it fix everything. Wins would fix everything for the players and the fan base. And, it just hasn't happened. They have not been able to get on that roll, even if it's not an extended winning streak. Piling up series wins—that's how you know good teams that aren't basically like you know the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Mets or teams that can go on a the Braves. I think went on a big one, like 10, 12 game winning streak. You pile up series wins, and Bruce haven't been able to put together more than two of those in forever. And so the winning can't fix everything. So that means the players need to fix it or the manager needs to fix it. And they're all just in such a funk that no one's really been able to do that. No one's been able to connect with this team. And I I do think these players are there for each other. They play for each other. You've You've still got a significant amount of guys on this team that have been together for a handful of years that they're not, they're not just all Hunter Renfro's, you know, guys that have been here for just one year, Rowdy Telez's guys who've just been here for two. Um, It's, it's your Corbin Burns and your Brandon Woodruff and your Freddie Peralta and your Christian Yelich and um, your Keston Hira guys who've been in this organization for years. There are tons of them on this team. So, you know, that they're there for each other. Um, But it's just, it's the, the, Actions of the front office, it seems, have been so detrimental to the psyche of this team that they just haven't been able to break out of it for going on uh, about five, six weeks. And 
I don't know if it'll change between now and yeah. the end of the season. They got about a month left, and it, time's running out. And and we've been, you know, for the longest time, one of the biggest defenders of this front office. Yes. And everything, you know, even even up until the trade deadline, everything seemed like, yeah, these guys are smart. They know what they're doing. They're they're doing good things. But then this trade deadline happened, and it was horrifically bad. Like it was it was so bad. It cannot be understated, or it, it cannot be overstated how bad that trade deadline was and you know now it's just kind of going back to all these other decisions now all these other moves way back when and it maybe it didn't just start with this trade deadline but this is just where everyone was finally able to see it you know because because this is where it showed up on such an obvious scale um, that the, there's there's no coming back from it. I mean, you know, the, the 2020 season we mentioned where they tried something new and it didn't work. Um, but in the past, and I will give the front office credit for this, when they make mistakes like that, they come out and they own them. David Stearns came out and said, like, hey, we tried something new. It didn't work. I'm sorry. We're, we're not going to try that again. It was bad. Uh, the Jonathan Scope trade. You know, you know, that was my bad. I thought he'd be good. It turns out he wasn't. I'm sorry for that. Like he came out and, and apologized for for making those moves that, that did not work out. And he recognized the error that he made. And I'm just curious if they've recognized this error uh, that, that they made at the trade deadline. They, they haven't seemed to come forward with it yet. Maybe if they get eliminated from postseason contention uh, when that happens or at the end of the season, maybe they'll come out and say that. But obviously, while there's still technically hope, you know, while, while the season's not over, they're not going to come out and say, oh, yeah, we we messed up, you know, publicly. So it's, you know, may, maybe that'll come in time, but we just haven't seen it yet. And going back to your point on having to win series ever since the trade deadline, the Brewers have won a grand total of three series going over the last month that spans one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven series they've won three of their last eleven series since the trade deadline yeah two of them last week yeah Yeah. that's bad right you you can't make a postseason that way when you only win three of eleven series in the span of a month. Yeah. It, the, and this this all goes back to that that point of winning fixes everything. It, it, it's possible that because the Brewers kept winning, because they kept making postseasons, that the winning overshadowed some of the issues and some of the trades that maybe were more detrimental than we realized that they were at the time. Had the Brewers been able to just win last month, that hater trade probably doesn't end up looking as bad or at least not seem like as much of a failure because if you make that trade but you're still able to win then how much of a failure can it actually be right but now it just all of this like the the fact that how it's affected the team the comments of Kane coming out it's like everything that's transpired over the last five weeks really really gets you thinking about the last few years in a different light yes they made postseasons, and that's good. And um, last year, that team actually probably had the talent to make a deeper run than it did. They just ran out of offensive juice towards the end of the year. Um, or maybe they didn't. Maybe they were just you know, punching out of their weight class for a lot of that year. 
and the winning made it seem better than it actually was. I don't know, but it's, again, like it's not fixing anything right now, and I don't know. I, I, it's, I think a lot of us are now kind of just in this weird limbo ourselves where we're kind of questioning not just the short-term future, but the long-term future. Like, what's what's going to happen now? Like, yeah. it's not gonna, like the season's going to end and all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, well, now the season's over, so everyone's fine again. Like, we'll just reset, yeah. and next year's going to happen, and we're going to forget anything happened this year. Like, that's that's not how it works. No. <laughs> Clearly, it's not how it works. Lorenzo Cain stewed on this for three years. Yeah. I mean, it is going to take a lot of work. You know, even when you come back next year, you know – is Eric Lauer still going to be pissed at the organization? Yeah. You know, you know, the, his comments that he made about how, you know, like, oh, they're looking at the long-term future. Some of us aren't going to be here then. You know, you're, you're looking three, four years down the road. We're not going to be here. You know, the, this is looking for other guys, not for us. We're here right now. Help us. Like, like, do you not care about us? And, you know, are, are those feelings going to remain the same for Lauer? And Lauer is not the only one who has those feelings. Right. He, he's not the only one who's thinking that. You know, pretty much anyone that's not Christian Yelich or Aaron Ashby, who's signed long term, um, you know, any of those guys who isn't signed to a long term extension, they're going to be thinking, well, what about us? And even those other guys like like Yelich and Ashby and Freddie Peralta, they're going to be like, what about my friends? What, yeah. what about these guys right here? I love playing with with Adamas and Burns and, and Woodruff and and all these guys like I'd like to continue to play with them. Like, are we just going to say, let them go? Like, I signed here because I'm playing with my friends, and I enjoyed playing here. And now if you're just going to kick my friends to the curb, you know, why am I staying? You know, it, it can it can spiral into something like that, and there is going to be a lot of work to be done this offseason. I am very curious to see how they address it this offseason with this roster. We could see a lot of turnover, you know, with, with guys leaving, I mean, Omar Narvaez is going to be a free agent, which can clear room for Mario Feliciano. Um, and that way, Matt doesn't have to push anyone down any flights of stairs. And, you know, you, you got you got a bunch of guys in AAA. Terang could come up and claim a job. Garrett Mitchell could claim a starting job. Asteria Ruiz could claim a starting job. Joey Weimer, Sal Freelich could claim starting jobs. Uh, you got plenty of guys who are who are coming up. Um, and they could end up taking over if the Brewers wanted to go that route, which might you know, save them some money, but also might allow them to spend money elsewhere on other positions where they don't have guys coming up. You know, will they keep Colton Wong? Will they keep Luis Arias? You know, will, will they go elsewhere at third base? Will they go elsewhere at first base? Rowdy Telez has been solid, but, you know, will they want to try and upgrade there? You know, will they, you know, what are they going to do at DH? You know, they've got so many question marks that, you know, you could see some wholesale changes coming this offseason. Um, but if they don't address the clubhouse issue um, and talk to those guys and just kind of either help them understand where they're coming from or just kind of put their minds at ease a little bit, then it's going to be very tough for them to, to gain that back. I mean, the Brewers, they, they seemed surprised almost at all the blowback that they received, you know, because they had built up a lot of trust and a lot of credibility with players and fans over the past several seasons. And it all seemed to go away in an instant. The players maybe were losing it a bit earlier than the fans, but the fans have definitely, a large portion of the fan base has definitely lost that trust over the past month. Yeah, and that's that's what makes this offseason 
even more interesting. Like like you said, like wholesale changes are probably going to be needed to kind of uh, turn this around into, you know, a winning direction. But then does that not feed into more of what Kane's been saying, where you mm-hmm. continue to mess with the chemistry and um, get rid of guys who've been around for a while that have kind of built this team into what it is? Yet you feel like you need those. And I think a lot of the fan base probably feels like you need those moves because um, there's plenty of um, fans who say that the team doesn't do enough, that Ananasio and David Stearns don't do enough to continue trying to improve this team. Well, but to do that, that means you have to move guys around and mess with the chemistry. So it's you're going to have to find the balance of that. The problem is... They put themselves in this weird position that they're going to potentially exacerbate, possibly because they have to, to improve this team this offseason because of how poorly they went about it over these last few years, kind of culminating in this trade deadline. They're probably going to have to make whatever moves they make this offseason, but they they might end up leading to worse clubhouse situation because of how they've acted in the lead up to now. And so it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of a a grave they dug for themselves at this point. You know, you know what I'm curious about? And then this thought just kind of popped in there. Would they trade Eric Lauer this off season because of the criticisms he made? I mean, he made those criticisms as a current player. Lorenzo Cain can say it and they can't really do anything against him because he no longer plays for them. But for Eric Lauer, I mean, he's still under contract for the next couple of seasons uh, until he reaches free agency. And he called out the front office. I don't know if that, I don't think they're going to take that, you know, incredibly lightly. You know, I I don't know if they're going to be incredibly forgiving of that. You know, they may be like, okay, this dude is just going to be um, not good in the clubhouse because he just, he doesn't believe in in what we're doing. So he's just going to kind of be undermining whatever else. Could they ship him out? this off season and just try to trade him for something Yeah, that I, I could definitely see that happening. And Lauer's a guy, I think they should keep around, but mm-hmm. if he's pissed at the front office, then he may end up going. Yeah. There's zero reason under any other circumstance you would want to get rid of Eric Lauer. He's got two seasons left. He's been continuously improving as they have worked and worked with him with their pitching developments He's a guy who could soften the blow of losing, at least somewhat soften the blow of losing players like a Woodruff or a Burns or however those kind of things shake out. You end up still getting to keep really one of your better arms in the rotation over the last couple of years. If they were to move on from him, it would be real hard to not think that it was because of him actually speaking out. Players should be allowed to speak out. Like you should be yeah. able to be open and honest in your work. And what kind of message would that send to the rest of the players that yeah. remain? Absolutely. Like, 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 that'd be my thing. Like, oh, he came out and criticized us, trade him. It yeah. made zero baseball sense to move on from him from a roster construction standpoint, even even no matter what you get back in return. I mean, the, the same goes for Hader. No matter what you get back in return, trading an all-star closer while you're a first-place team at the trade deadline made zero sense. Yeah. So if you do the same with Lauer this offseason, it's going to send a message to everyone else in that clubhouse of, you know, we don't really care what you guys think. Um, if you think negatively of us, we'll get rid of you, um, and we're just going to do whatever. 
Um, and what you guys think or what you guys say, or it, it won't matter. We're just going to build it, whatever, and you're just going to have to take it. Yeah. doesn't matter how good you are. You step out of line and you're out of here. Yeah. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Right. Man, we have been very pessimistic lately these past <laughs> couple of weeks on the podcast. It is, it has not been, uh, this isn't our preferred type of content, but yeah. it's what, it's what you got to do. I mean, right now it's just the, the situation calls for it. So, yeah. uh, Matt, what are you going to be doing on, on Thursday here? You know, tomorrow, um, I'm going to be making, well, as everyone's out. listening to it, it's today. That's but. true. Yeah. For us right now, it's tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to be heading up to the Fox Valley, um, to go catch Timbers Rattlers game, try and see Jackson Churio while he is still here. Um, but uh, in the middle of the day, I'll actually be joining uh, Leo from the Leo and Balky show um, at the score and co-hosting the entire show with him. <laughs> I was asked to join the boys wow. and uh, spend the whole two hours kind of chatting. So um, we're going to have our manager Joe Ayrault on the show. Um, we're going to have um, the president of Timber Rattlers on the show. We're actually going to talk a little bit of Packers. So, um, you know, got to kind of brush up on my football talk. And just so happened there's a little bit of a beer review at the end of the show. So that's that's always real nice. nice. Yeah. So um, cannot be more excited for this opportunity and more thankful for them. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope I don't sound ridiculous. Um, but... <laughs> They run a fantastic show up there, and um, I'll just be obviously letting them lead the way and just kind of tagging along and having fun. So um, it's going to be a good time, uh, but also just to kind of be up there in the Green Bay area. Love it. Been a while since I've been up there. Um, going to be a fun day. Yeah, yeah, that's that sounds fun, man. Getting to getting to hosting with those guys, they love you up there, man. And yeah. you know, they love some. I wish BJ and the Bears still had their morning show. You know. Because I would go on there, and, and those guys love me. The guys at the score are great. They, they really are. BJ, um, the Bears no longer there. Um, but Leo, Balky, all those guys. Um, you know, it's been, you know, it's been great. You know, those guys having us on, talking some brewers. And you get to be up there, man. So you, you get a nice, uh, nice fun day on the radio. Um, I am going to be at Miller Park for this doubleheader yeah. in a suite in – the Mark Atanasio Overflow Suite. So we're gonna be up on like the third deck. Like this, like this is his like secondary suite. So this is almost like an owner level suite type thing. So like it is, and there for two games for it. No one else gets a gets a brewer suite for two games in the same day because there are no double headers in Miller Park. So hey, it's a it's a big day for both of us, which is why we're recording a day early uh, this week. But it was. Uh, some much needed conversation on uh, the state of the brewers right now, which is not good. <laughs> nope. But tomorrow it'll be good times reviewing the brew and the cold brew podcast. We'll have the entire state of Wisconsin covered in Damn professional right. baseball tomorrow. Well, absolutely love it. All right. That is going to do it for us uh, this week. Uh, be sure to stay tuned to reviewing the brew. Uh, for all the latest on the Milwaukee Brewers and get ready for next week's episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.